Welcome, I'm Linda McHenry, host of Taking the Mystery Out of Insurance. Thanks for joining us. As you know, clueless is a dangerous place to be. On this podcast, my guests and I help you and other insurance professionals take the subject of insurance and break it down into simple language, sharing concepts that help you and your clients avoid the pitfalls of confusion and misunderstanding. Once we peel back the complex layers to expose the basics, you'll be able to accomplish your goals without falling prey to all kinds of mayhem. Today is Tuesday, May 12, 2020, and this is Episode 4, titled Rental Cars and Insurance. Are you giving the right advice? If you'd like more information about this subject when the podcast is over, visit my website at lindamchenry.com and reach out to me through the comment submission form. My website also shares more details about who I am, what I do, and it offers you the opportunity to submit questions for each week's Q&A section of the podcast. Today, I'm going to answer the two most common questions you've heard thousands of times when your clients need to rent a car. I don't need to buy the insurance they offer, do I? And my policy covers me, right? Well, the short answer to both these questions is yes and no. Let's start with a reminder about contract law. Any legal contract is binding. So when the persons or the parties entering into the contract have legal capacity, meaning they're of legal age and they don't lack capacity, The contract is binding whether or not the contract was read. So you see with an insurance policy, I buy an insurance policy from an insurance company. We're both bound to the contract so long as all those legal requirements are met. Same thing holds true with a rental agreement. And the important thing to remember about rental contracts and insurance policies is they're written by different parties and the rental company writes the contract for its own benefit. And the insurance company writes its contract for its own benefit. So each is focused on meeting its own needs and they're not necessarily going to even consider the needs of some other party. Having said that, the rental agreement contradicts the auto policy, both the personal and business policy. And it does so in several ways. First of all, the rental agreement requires the renter to contractually assume liability for everything associated with the term of the rental. So that is damage to the rental car, it's damage to third-party property, it's injuries to people in the rental car and outside the rental, it is for expenses the rental car company incurs, whether it be to have the car fixed or returned somewhere, or lawyer's fees. I mean, the list in the rental agreements is extensive about the things that they require the renter to pay for. On the other hand, the insurance policy only provides insurance coverage for bodily injury and property damage for which the the, the insured is legally responsible. So if you go to court and the court says, yeah, Linda, you have to pay, that's legal liability. And again, it's only bodily injury and property damage. It isn't expenses such as attorney fees or loss of income, things of that nature. I mean, what if I'm involved in an accident and I was rear-ended? I'm not legally liable for that. So my policy isn't going to pay any of those expenses. The second thing that we see a really big contradiction in is the rental agreement requires the renter to provide insurance and or financial assurances in a way that neither the personal nor business auto policy provides. So typically in an auto insurance policy, the contract says if the insured is involved in a loss and there is property damage, any property insured by the policy will be covered on a primary basis by the policy. 
In other words, I'm driving my car down the road and I crack it up. My policy will pay first before any other insurance that's in place. The policies also say that if I'm driving a non-owned vehicle at the time I'm involved in a loss, my policy will pay, but it's only going to pay after the owner's policy pays. So it's going to pay on an excess basis. And the problem there is the rental agreement requires the renter to make payment first before anything else. So if, if your insurance policy doesn't pay when you sign a rental agreement, you're agreeing to make payment on your own. And then the next thing to keep in mind when it comes to insurance is that the majority of rental companies don't buy collision or physical damage coverage. They only buy liability coverage at the minimum limits required by the state. That's why they require the renters to pay for everything because their insurance, if they have it, won't. Now, I have to admit that they do typically buy excess or stop loss coverage, which kicks in after a huge deductible or retention could be twenty-five or fifty or a hundred thousand dollars. So it will pay minimum liability, and then there's a big gap, and the rental company assumes those payments themselves. And then their, their excess or stop loss coverage kicks into place. And that's where the renter's insurance usually comes into play. But of course, the renter's insurance has to provide coverage for that to happen. So here's a recap of how the personal and business auto policies work. Again, they only provide bodily injury and property damage coverage. They don't provide loss of income. They don't provide expenses of the rental company or attorney fees or anything of that nature unless the court says the insured is legally responsible and has to pay for bodily injury or property damage. If the, the injuries are economic, such as loss of income, policy isn't going to pay. And if the court says your client is legally liable, then your client has to come up with the money, him or herself. The personal and business auto policies provide coverage differently for non-owned autos than they do for autos owned by the insured or that are scheduled on the policy. Now, some policies don't provide coverage for non-owned autos at all. If you're looking at a personal auto policy, most of them will include a definition for non-owned auto. And uh, my understanding is there's two or three states that require personal auto policies to provide coverage for rental cars on the same basis they do for the insured's owned vehicles or the ones that are designated. But in the vast majority of the states, that's not the case. There are also high-risk auto policies, you know, the policies that are written on the high-risk drivers or through the pools. Many of those policies state specifically that they only insure the vehicles listed on the deck page. So they won't insure non-owned autos. So once again, you need to read the policies that your clients buy from you to see if they do provide coverage for non-owned autos, which a rental would be. Now in the business auto policy, the policy uses symbol designations to indicate what types of vehicles are insured, whether it's any vehicle used in connection with the insured's business, whether it's owned vehicles, and there's you know special subtypes under that. It could be owned private passenger or not private passenger. And then there's specially designated vehicles. And then there's hired and non-owned autos. And, and the business auto policy uses symbols eight and nine 
to designate them. And, and if you if you have a client who buys a commercial auto policy from you and you haven't included symbols eight and nine, they don't have coverage for non-owned vehicles unless they're listed on the policy, maybe like a leased vehicle. So your symbol eight is your hired car coverage, and that will provide coverage for any vehicle that your client hires, leases, uh, rents, or borrows, but it won't cover vehicles that are owned by the business or any employee of the business or any family member of an employee. And that does include the business's owners. Symbol nine is non-ownership liability. And once again, it's for vehicles that are owned, rented, leased, or borrowed by the business. And it will cover any vehicle if it's used in a business capacity. So not for personal use. So you pretty much need to buy symbols eight and nine together. They work together like puzzle pieces. So the two exclusions there will overlap. And it's not that expensive. It's about $100, $125 a year on average if your client has a, a million dollar combined single limit of liability. And once again, both the personal and auto uh, business auto policies, if they provide coverage for a non-owned auto, will only do so on an excess basis. So in the best case scenario, your client rents a car and they have insurance with you and they get involved in an accident and the policy provides coverage, it will require the rental company's policy to pay first. And if the rental company doesn't provide coverage, it will require their insurance company to issue a declination letter. So at the very least, it's going to take several weeks for that claim to get paid. And no auto policy is going to provide all the assurances a car rental agreement requires. Therefore, the purchase of the car rental company's insurance and or a collision or loss damage waiver is essential. And you need to explain that to your clients. Now, when they go to the rental counter, they can buy that collision or loss damage waiver. It's not insurance. It's an amendment to the rental contract, just like a codicil amends a will or a rider or an endorsement amends an insurance policy. Basically, instead of your client being responsible for everything that happens during the term of the rental, it's going to limit your insured's responsibility. Some of the waivers are fuller comprehensive and they'll waive all your client's liability and they tend to cost more. They're like $30 a day. Or there'll be the partial or the limited waivers where maybe they'll waive the first twenty-five dollars or $50,000 of your insured's responsibility. Or maybe they'll only waive uh, your insured's responsibility for damage to their rented car, but not for third-party property damage or bodily injury. You got to read these waivers to see what they are going to do. And then some rental companies will actually sell supplemental liability coverage. And, and this coverage, from what I've seen in all cases, it's pretty good. It's primary liability coverage at a million-dollar limit. So for your clients who have low liability limits or who don't have an umbrella, you actually might want to recommend that. They'll also offer, some of the rental companies will offer other types of insurance, such as medical payments coverage or property damage coverage for briefcases and clothing, stuff like that that's left in the vehicle. Typically, they coordinate with the homeowner's policy, so they'll offer up to $500 or $1,000 worth of damage because that's usually the deductible on the homeowner policy. Now, there are credit card agreements. Everyone's going to say, well, gee, I got a credit card, and they say that they'll take care of that. And there's three issues with those. The renter, first of all, has to waive the loss or collision damage waiver, which can be a big deal. 
they're only going to cover rentals during the stated period. So these credit card agreements say, we'll, we'll only provide coverage so long as your rental period is three or four weeks. Well, if your client's on vacation or a business trip for more than um, two or three or the three or four weeks, then they don't have coverage after that. So that can be an issue. Another issue is they always cap the amounts they pay, either at a flat dollar amount and or only for the rental car. So the conclusion here is you need to read the rental agreement to know what it's going to say and request and demand. And, and you're never going to be able to get that because your client won't get it till they're at the rental counter. So when your client can't give you the agreement, you say, well, you know, I never give insurance advice about my client's legal responsibility under contract unless I can read the contract. So since I can't read the contract, I have to let you know that there are some major provisions of the car rental agreements that contradict auto policies. So they're going to ask you to provide uh, payment for certain things that I know your policy can't do. So I recommend that you purchase the broadest collision or loss damage waiver. And then, of course, you want to look at your client's policy, see if they have an umbrella, um, see what their liability limits are. And you might actually want to recommend that they buy the liability coverage as well. And I, I just want to finally let you know that I have read thousands of insurance policies and hundreds of rental agreements. And, and this is a huge, huge issue. So once again, you, you want to give the best advice to your client and, and how can you advise them about what to do under a contract if you haven't read the contract. That's what I have for you today about rental cars and insurance and are you giving the right advice. Now let's do today's Q&A. Each episode, I answer questions submitted by listeners. Today's question was submitted by Pam in Kansas City, who wants to know, what do we tell our business clients when they ask us if their policies are going to cover the cost of business interruption losses due to the COVID pandemic and lockdown? That is a very good question, and we're seeing all kinds of information about it. In fact, I'm going to be attending a webinar later this week about it. The short answer is business interruption coverage on a commercial policy is property coverage, meaning the insured can only collect for loss of operations if a covered property loss takes place. So a fire or an explosion, right? When that happens and your business shuts down, your policy will make payment. The COVID pandemic is not a property loss. So right now we have a number of states that are trying to require insurance companies to pay for business interruption losses caused by COVID when the insurance companies are pushing back and they don't want to because it completely violates the terms of the contract. So I am going to keep you posted on that, but my, my take right now is there is no coverage and we'll have to see if the government can actually compel insurance companies to provide coverage contradictory to the legal contracts that they have with their clients. And that's the end of the Q&A for today. If you'd like more information about today's subjects or any other insurance topic, visit my website at lindamchenry.com, which offers you the opportunity to contact me with questions for the Q&A and suggestions for future podcast topics. That's it for today. Remember, clueless is a dangerous place to be. Tune in next time as together we investigate and solve more insurance mysteries. 